Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Acts, chapter 1. We're going to read together there. And I just want to, uh, some of you know, we have a new app and uh, church app and giving platform. If you're giving through the old platform, that's going to go away end of this month. And I just encourage you to go to the website or to the new church app. You can give that way. You can give recurring giving. That way you never miss. That's what we do. And uh, however you give, I just thank you for giving to God through the work and ministry of FBCO. And we are grateful for that. Well, let's open our Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 1. We finished our series on Hosea. And I just want us to look at this great passage of Scripture where the, the Bible talks to us about the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's an important subject. So let's read Acts chapter 1. We're going to read beginning with verse 4. Uh, this is just after Jesus has he's already died, risen from the grave, and he's about to ascend back to heaven. And he says these words to his apostles and disciples. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, I want you to see this truth that God the Holy Spirit is present in the life of every believer. God the Holy Spirit gives us his presence and his power. The Bible tells us that God is, the nature of God is, the eternal nature of God is, that he is one God with three ways of being, that he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is who God has always been and will always be. That's who God is. He is God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. That's his very nature. And we know something about God the Father. We, of course, hear about him, talk about him often. We talk about uh, the Savior, God the Son, Jesus, who came into this world and lived the perfect life for us, died the death we deserve, rose from the grave for us. And so we know him because he's our Savior. But I want you to know about God the Holy Spirit, that God the Holy Spirit lives in believers, that we can have access to the power of God through the Holy Spirit. And so let's talk about the role of the Holy Spirit. And this passage teaches us something about who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. And the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit does lots of things. I'll just mention a few. He convicts us. Did you know you can't even come to God except for the conviction of the Holy Spirit? He convicts us of sin and righteousness. And as believers, if you know Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit convicts you when you do wrong. He does that because he loves you, because he wants what's best for you, but he convicts you. He emboldens you. I think the real sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit is boldness and witness. And that God gives us the boldness to do what he wants us to do, what he calls us to do, what he enables us to do. The Holy Spirit brings boldness to us. The Holy Spirit guides us. He guides us. He shows us that God's way is better than the world's way. And that God has a purpose and plan for us that is right and good and best. He guides us to obey what God teaches in his word and to follow him and to follow the Lord Jesus on the path he has for us. And so let's note a couple of principles together about the about what God does, about what God gives. And uh, let's, let's note these two principles. If you're a note taker, would you write these down? And then I'll have some kind of sub notes for you as well. Number one, would you know God gives us his presence in life. God gives us his presence in life. God, the Holy Spirit, lives in us. When we trust Christ as Savior, he lives in us. Let's note what the Bible says here. 
in verse 4, while he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So let's know five things about the Holy Spirit's presence. Will you note these five things with me? Number one, the Holy Spirit's presence is, is critical. It's critical. So important. So much so that Jesus said, as he's about to ascend to the Father, he commanded his apostles. He didn't suggest to them. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. He commanded them. He said, wait for the Father's promise. Don't leave. Don't go somewhere else. Don't get distracted. This is of such critical importance, he said, that I want you to stay. In fact, I command you to stay. You've heard me talk about this. I want you to stay because the Holy Spirit's presence in our life is critical. We need the Holy Spirit, whether we recognize it or not. God wants us to see the importance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He doesn't just say, live your life on your own, do your own thing, good luck with that. But the Holy Spirit's presence is critical to living the kind of life God wants us to live and being the kind of people God wants us to be. Secondly, the Holy Spirit's presence is close. The Bible says in verse 5, Jesus said, you heard me speak about this, verse 5, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. This is how close the Holy Spirit's presence is to us. There's three different mentions of baptism in the New Testament, three different forms. And one is the baptism of John, or John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer. And John baptized people before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as a sign of repentance. His role was to warn of the coming of the Messiah and the coming of the kingdom. And he warned people to turn from sin, to go the right way, and he called them to repent. And it's a message that we still need today. Repentance means we turn from wrong and turn to the right. We stop disobeying God or running from God or arguing with God or justifying our actions before God, and we do what he calls us to do. That's what John the Baptist, his baptism, was a sign to people that they were repenting. When they were baptized, they were a sign they were repenting of their wrong actions. And then there is a second kind of baptism, what we might call believer's baptism. It's mentioned very often in the Bible. The book of Acts records lots of believer's baptisms. Even, John the, even those who were baptized uh, with John's baptism were later baptized, according to the book of Acts, in believer's baptism. It's a testimony. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, but the baptism of believers is a testimony that we have repented of our sin, that we have placed our trust in Christ as Savior, that we have been transformed by the Lord, that we've followed the example of the Lord, of the Lord Jesus who died, was buried, and rose from the grave for us, and we died to self and buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk a new life, the Bible says, and it is our testimony that we're followers of the Lord Jesus. If you've not been baptized as a believer, I commend it to you. It's your way of telling people that you have found new life in Christ, found salvation in Him, and that you're testifying of that. In fact, tonight, we, you saw if you were here earlier in the service, uh, one of the young adults following believers' baptism. Tonight, we'll have a baptism night in the Kids Life Center. We've got uh, a number of people who are going to follow in believers' baptism. If you have not been baptized as a believer, maybe you've never been baptized, maybe you're baptized before you trusted Christ as Savior, and you need to follow in believers' baptism, you can come tonight at 6 o'clock. In fact, come a little bit early so we can uh, talk to you and make sure that you've trusted Christ as your Savior. And then you testify that you have 
uh, followed, that you've tr uh, trusted Christ as a Savior by being baptized, going under the water and back up, signifying that new life in Christ. And I, I'd love to see you following believers' baptism. But there's a third baptism, and I want to mention it. And that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. And he's saying the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. I believe this is referring not to the filling of the Holy Spirit that can happen over and over, but to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is, when you trust Christ as Savior, God, the Holy Spirit, comes to live in you. Not far away, not distant, not God out there somewhere, but God in you. That's why the Bible says about your body, your body is the temple of God. Not because your uh, body is perfect, which if it is close to perfect now, just you know, live long enough and you'll find out that it is not going to stay perfect. I'll just assure you of that. It's not because of that, but because the temple represented the very presence of God and your body represents the presence of God because when you trust Christ as Savior, God lives in you, the Holy Spirit in you. Man, that's an incredible, incredible thought and truth and recognition that God the Holy Spirit lives in you. A believer has the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit living in them. And we need to be filled with the Spirit to live under His control daily. We need to follow Him, but how thankful I am of the close presence. It's described like baptism. That you, you can't help but get wet in the baptism. You go under the water and back up. It's close and personal. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is close and personal. God the Holy Spirit living in us. Number three, the Holy Spirit's presence is personal. Notice the Bible says here, you, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. He's speaking you plural here to the apostles and disciples. We have a struggle because we're in the north with saying you plural. Our um, friends here from who grew up in the south can help us because you say, you maybe grew up saying y'all, or if you really wanted to get everyone involved, you said all y'all because y'all wasn't enough to say. You had to say all y'all. In the north, we have to say things like you guys or yunzes or yous or all of you human beings or something that's just clunky and difficult. So Vic and I, in our time in Texas, y'all just stayed with us. We still like that you plural. But it's not just you plural in the sense that all of you, it's each of you. Each of you. Each individual of you. You plural and each of you in that plurality. God is saying the Holy Spirit is personal. That you, not just you plural, but you as one of the plural, matter deeply to God. God the Holy Spirit cares about you. He was saying to guys like Peter and to Andrew and to Thomas and to the other Judas, you and each of you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's a personal thing. God, the Holy Spirit, cares about you. He comes to live in your life, not just you, plural, but in each of you, not just the church in general, though God loves the church in general, but he loves the church in specifics and in detail, and each one of the you all or all y'all. The Holy Spirit's presence is personal. And then fourthly, the Holy Spirit's presence is constant. The Bible says you will be filled with the Holy Spirit in every circumstance, through every problem, whatever difficulty you brought to this place. You can lean into the Holy Spirit. You can know that He's there. He doesn't leave us in difficult moments. He's not just there on occasion, but He will be, you will be, the Bible says, filled 
baptized in the Holy Spirit. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit under his control, submitting to his direction, obeying him. And then notice, fifthly, the Holy Spirit's presence is greater. So go with me to verses 6 and 7. This is kind of an interesting passage. So when they had come together, that's the apostles and the disciples, when they had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? So he said, they were saying, listen, we don't really like the Romans who are ruling over us and the Greeks whose culture is pressing against us and all the problems we've had. We'd like to be in charge ourselves. We'd like to have our own opportunities and influence. We'd like Israel to be as it was before. And Jesus said to them in verse 7, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit's presence is greater than power or greater than politics, or greater than personal gain. Now listen, if God has given you influence, great, use it for his glory. The opportunity to be involved in the political process is a wonderful privilege we have as citizens in a free society. The personal gain God puts into your life, be a good steward of those things. But the Holy Spirit's presence is greater than any of those. Greater than any. So I mentioned um, a few weeks ago that my, all three of my brothers came to visit from the various places they live, and they came to our, our house, and we went to visit all the places. My mom came as well, and we went to visit all the places we'd lived uh, in our growing up years here in Illinois. My dad was a construction worker and a bivocational pastor, and we moved to all kinds of places, all southern, central, northern Illinois, various different places. And so if you lived somewhere in Illinois, at one time I lived near where you lived, somewhere, wherever that is. So we went to visit those places, and one of the places we visited was in southern Illinois in a little town called Buckner, which is near Benton, if you know that part of the world. Buckner's a little small town, 500 people maybe, and um, we went to the house. I've been outside the house many times, but I've never been inside the house since 1970, since 1970. And the door was open that day, one of our brothers just walked up. It was a beautiful day just a few weeks ago. My brother walked up to the door. The door was open, and he knocked on the door, and there was an old couple in their 90s who, who lived there. And he told them, you know, we, so we said who we were and that we had lived there, and they said, would you like to see the house? And we said, yeah. So we went into the house that I had not stepped foot in since 1970. And I tell you, it was a lot smaller than I remembered it. <laughs> but a lot of memories came back. And I saw all the, you know, all the places we, whatever, wrestled or uh, victories or defeats, you know, all the fun things of life. Just a lot of great memories flooded back. It was so neat to see. My dad built part of the, uh, done some of the construction on the old house. an old company house from the mining days, and they had it added on to it and such. Well, it was fascinating and neat. Just wonderful old 90-something-year-old couple who had been married 60-something years. They celebrated their anniversary the day before by going to Dairy Queen. What better place? You know, if you're looking for a romantic spot, guys, uh, that's a pretty romantic spot right there. And so my brother pointed to a corner in that room among all the memories. He said, hey, right there is where we watched Neil Armstrong walk on the moon. You know, if you're, if you're not over 50, you never saw someone walk on the moon. I saw guys walk on the moon in my boyhood days there in that little town, in that little house, I watched a guy, Neil Armstrong, take a 
small step for a man and a giant leap for mankind. It is weird that you younger folks have never seen someone walk on the moon. But I've seen something bigger than that. I know something greater than that. And someday, you young folks maybe will get to see some guy step foot on Mars. I thought it would happen by now, but it hasn't. And maybe through government agencies or maybe these private enterprises that are attempting this, some guy will maybe step on the face of Mars, that planet of Mars, and step foot on that planet. And there is something greater than that. Listen, the God who made the earth and the moon and the planets and the stars and all we can see in the skies and far beyond, the God who made all of those things, who created all that we can see and beyond what we can see, the God who made it all, that God loves you And when you trust Christ as Savior, he comes to live in your life. You see why I say it's greater than politics or personal power or or personal gain? Because God lives in you, the presence of God. So you're not, whatever adversity you face, whatever difficulty you face, whatever issues of life, the, the presence of God with you, this is the great truth of God's word, that God doesn't abandon you or leave you or forget you but that he is close and present in your life. Now, there's a second principle I want you to know. God gives us his power for impact. He gives us his presence in life, but secondly, God gives us his power for impact. And this passage talks specifically about the power of God. Verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let's note a couple of things here. Would you note first that the Holy Spirit gives us power? We need something greater than our own power. This is a church filled with some hard charges. We've got some sharp, gifted, talented people here. I mean, just in some incredible talent and gifts and abilities. But there's a danger that comes with that. And the danger is we begin to think that it's just about our talent and abilities, and that's what God wants. And God, listen, God, God is such a great God. He can even use the talented the skilled, and the intelligent. But he has never depended upon our skill or our talent or our intelligence. He has not depended upon that. And if we're not careful, we begin to think that we can depend upon ourselves. Every once in a while, there's a moment in life that reminds us pain or loss or grief that reminds us how much we need God. And God... It's good for us to be reminded how much we need God. We need His power and not our own. To depend upon His strength and not ours. Listen, if God's given you abilities and talents and gifts, great. Be a good steward of those gifts God has given to you, of course. But don't ever forget that it's the power of God. Notice that the Holy Spirit gives us the power to impact the world. He does it for a reason. It's not just so we can have power and have His presence but so we can make an impact in the world. God used, of all people, the apostles and the early church. The apostles are guys like Peter, fishermen, tax collectors. Thomas doubted the resurrected Jesus. The other Judas, we we don't hardly know anything about the other Judas, but there's another Judas, and God used people like that. They They were not the kind of people you would have picked, the early church that God used to change the world. Who would have picked the early church? There weren't many rich people in it, not that many educated, not that many powerful. They weren't, the, they weren't the successful of the world, but they trusted God. They depended upon Him and God, the Holy Spirit, filling them and using them. 
cause them to impact the world for His glory. The Holy Spirit gives us power, but I want you to note as well that the Holy Spirit gives us a mission. So there's a reason for the power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be, verse 8 says, and you will be my witnesses. Peter and Thomas and the other Judas and the early church, you're going to be my witnesses. And you're going to do it in four places, in Jerusalem, all of Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you with the limited talents and abilities, with your past and brokenness, with your sinful past. I'm going to use you. I'm going to save you by the power of the Lord Jesus who forgives sins. I'm going to empower you by the Holy Spirit, and you're going to have a mission. You are going to be the mission. Isn't that a strange method for the Lord to use? God chose to use people like us. He didn't have to use us, but God in heaven chose to use the methodology of using people like us, broken, fallen people who find the Savior and become his witnesses. Let's note those four places where we're witnesses. First, the Bible says in Jerusalem. Well, that's exactly where they were. They were in Jerusalem right then. Jesus told them not to leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came. That's where they were. And God wants to use you right where you are right now. I love that God is calling people in our church to serve him in various ways. And I I try to always say this to those who are thinking about a call, maybe exploring a call that God may have for them to become career missionaries or to serve some shorter term time as a missionary or to serve as a vocation in vocational um, service in a church, ministry in a church or whatever it might be. I always say, listen, the best thing you can do is serve God right now. Don't say, I'm going to serve you. Listen, I'll serve you, God, when I get to the Middle East or when I get to Africa or when I get to China. But no, no, serve God right now. I'll serve you, God, someday when I get a paycheck from a church. That I, when I'm on staff, I'll serve, serve God right now. In fact, all you have is right now. There's no promise about tomorrow. So God has given you this day. He's saying to the disciples, to the apostles, you serve where you are, present tense right now, present location right where you are. So if, I don't know what God has for your future. Some of you are young, you're thinking about your future, and I don't know what God is going to, I don't know where you're going to live. I don't know what vocation God has for you. I don't know where you're going to go, what you're going to do. I just know this, God has given you today, present tense, and he's given you this place, present location. Serve God right now. Don't wait for someday. Be faithful to him right now. Use your gifts and your talents and your resources for God's glory right now. How likely are you to do those things faithfully in the future if you're not willing to, them, to do them faithfully right now. We have a responsibility, church, to our own Jerusalem to reach this community for the Lord, to, be, to spread the gospel message, to care about people who live here. We have a responsibility right here and right now. But there's a second area, he said, in Jerusalem, and then he said, in all Judea. Now, Judea is the region around Jerusalem. It's the small towns and villages and the countryside all around the region. In 1867, FBCO was formed. There's no charter members left. And FBCO was a little, O'Fallon was a little um, railroad stop. I mean, just have to put a railroad depot somewhere in those days. And they put one in O'Fallon and named it after John O'Fallon who owned the railroad. And so there's O'Fallon. There's just a little small community, primarily people who farmed or something in the region. And 
um, over time. And, that ch and the church started here in 1867. And they said, we're going to reach our O'Fallon for the Lord, our Jerusalem. We're going to try to reach people here. And people would walk to church, of course. Or maybe a few of them rode a horse or took a horse and buggy or something like that. But most of them probably walked. And then things began to change over time. Transportation began to change. People were able then at some time to do other sorts of things, maybe to go into St. Louis, far away St. Louis for a job, coal mine, coal's, um, coal is all around our area, and this became a coal mining town, and then uh, Scott Air Force Base came to our region, and then the church, because of the accessibility of travel, the church became, began to become a more regional church, and especially in the 80s and 90s and beyond, the church began to reach beyond to the region and places uh, like Fairview and Belleville and Mascouda and Freeburg and Lebanon and Trenton and Troy and Collinsville and St. Louis and on and on and on and on that region. And the church recognized that God had given an even greater responsibility. In 1867, maybe they'd never imagined, they didn't know what cars were, but they didn't imagine that God would provide such an opportunity. And the church became a more regional church. And we had an opportunity to make a difference, not just in Jerusalem, but in Judea. And God wants us to make a difference in our jobs. God has you in that job, in that school, in that community, in that family for a reason. And God wants to use you beyond just where you are this moment, but where you'll be tomorrow and the next week and the next month and the next year. And then the Bible says, you'll be my witnesses in Samaria. Now, Samaria, that's across barriers. The Samaritans and the Jews didn't always get along. If you know the New Testament, you know that story of how they didn't get along always. There was animosity and disagreement and strife and struggle. They had a past. They held grudges. They differed. They disagreed. They were divided politically and religiously. But the gospel crosses barriers. The enemy is really clever at putting up barriers between us. He loves to do that. Politics often does that. The culture often does that. But God has a way of making us, uh, bringing us together and bringing unity I love that God allows us to cross barriers. I'd love to see how God has allowed us to reach young and old here. I've watched with great interest as our YAs, which stands for young adults. We're really clever with names here. Our YAs, our young adults, how they have grown and grown. They're primarily in their 20s or late teenage years. They're primarily unmarried. And they have just, we've just seen that area, especially in the last few years, grow and grow. I remember 20 years ago, we were talking about how we did not reach that demographic well and how there are so many who are in school or in jobs or at Scott Air Force Base in the, in the region that we needed to reach of that age group. And then in the last years, we've just that's really picked up steam and they have a service that has really been meaningful for them and they've connected to our church they're serving faithfully god has used them in a million ways here i see young people coming to christ following a believer's baptism growing as disciples i love to see what god's doing there and then on the other hand i see senior adults who are growing in faith they just got back from a trip to to the ark encounter our senior adults are a pretty active group many of them are serving the lord actively in ministry they are giving faithfully they, they are sacrificing for the cause of Christ. One of the reasons we're reaching YAs is because the senior adults have been leading the way in sacrificing their preferences. More than the middle age group, the senior adults leading the way in sacrificing their preferences and sacrificing financially and caring about the generation of their children and their grandchildren. I love seeing that. And the world wants to divide by age. God puts us together, one in the body of Christ. The world divides us by the pigmentation of our skin. We're divided by our ethnicities, our backgrounds, 
And the world does that all the time. But the, listen, the gospel is big enough to overcome the division that we see in our nation over racial animosity, over bigotry and prejudice, or any of the other things that the enemy would use to keep us divided. God makes us one in Christ. The gospel is big enough to do that. If God can forgive us of our sins, he can forgive us of all of our sins. And he can make us one in Christ, the same father, the same family. I love seeing God do that. Whatever it is that would divide us, Christ and the message of the gospel and the truth of his word, that's what unites us. And the closer I get to the Lord and the closer you get to the Lord, no matter where our backgrounds are, the closer we are together, the more unity we have because of Christ drawing us together. So we're to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. To the end of the earth. Our church supports uh, IMB missionaries all around the world, all around the globe, and I love that we can help spread the gospel that way. Some of those missionaries, of course, are from FBCO. We also are involved directly in mission trips. We can never replace career missionaries who learn the language, the culture, and connect in those ways, but we can supplement them by our mission trips and travels. And so we have some long-term partnerships. We have a long-term partnership with Uganda. We've been connected there for a long, long time. A crew of missionaries from our church came out of that mission partnership. We've been connected for a long time now with Cuba, of all places. God is working in Cuba in some unusual ways. There's been just a little a level of, of uh, religious freedom, and the gospel is spreading in ways that we would have never dreamed. It's just been a remarkable story. We had a long-term partnership in a country that now is very difficult to go to, and so we've been in Poland recently, and perhaps that's where God will open a longer-term partnership. Uh, The most recent trip was in Poland with Polish people and Ukrainian refugees, many of them in the country of Poland. And um, those are parts of how we do the end of the earth. So let me tell you my story. So 27 years ago, last this past summer, so more than 27 years ago now, Vicki and I went on our very first international mission trip. I was serving as a pastor in a church in Texas. I was there for a decade. It was a church I loved deeply. They loved us. God had gotten a hold of the church. It had grown from very, very small to much larger. Lots of opportunities there, but it had grown to much larger and just a good work of God. And many people came to Christ. And we just loved the church. Our kids were young and connected deeply. We were connected deeply. Almost everyone in the church had come after we were there. It just was a remarkable time. And but we, and we, our church was good at the Jerusalem in many ways and, and, and more and more with the Judea and, and getting better at the Samaria part. But we'd never really done much about the end of the earth except to send money to International Mission Board missionaries. And so we, did, we had an opportunity to go on our first international mission trip. And it was life-changing. It was life-changing for us. And we went to Poland. So 27-plus years ago, if you remember history, um, Poland was new to freedom. And they were so amazed to meet Americans. And we were in a smaller city in Poland, and almost, almost every person there, we were the very first Americans they met. So we did English as a second language. Everyone wanted to learn English. I would preach at night in English with a translator. I'd talk about things like why the cross matters or why the resurrection of Jesus is important and kind of basic doctrines about how to know Christ, etc. Man, people got saved. People got came, there's just a deep connection, 
It was exciting that Rush, the Polish people were so excited to meet Americans because they had their first taste of freedom. Which, man, can I just say to you, they knew something that we sort of take for granted. With all the problems of our country, and we've got plenty, we don't ignore the problems of our country. We never say, we don't think our country is perfect, nor that anyone in our country is perfect. But this gift of freedom is a great gift. And the people of Poland, who had known nothing but a communist dictatorship, for, for a generation and beyond, we're so excited about freedom. It kind of made me realize how much we take for granted the freedom that we have as a country. When we, when we appreciate our, our military or appreciate the blessings of our country, we're not saying our country is perfect. We're saying we have an opportunity of freedom that we ought not take for granted and that often we do take blessings for granted in life. And this is one that we ought to recognize. And so the Polish people just, this is an, a remarkable time. And God used it in my life just to remind me of the importance of, of missions, but he also used it in another way. So just before we had gone to Poland, we got contacted by uh, FBCO. It was all the way in Texas. But my closest friend, my closest pastor friend, is a guy named John Evant. And John, who's going to be preaching next week, so if you don't like how the story turned out over the next 27 years, complain to John. Just tell, you know, he, he just complained that he did a bad job. But John preached here. We didn't have these buildings, of course, but we were at the, the Kids Life Center. Part of that was built then, and the Kids Life Center was where we had our worship services. And John was there for, was here for a conference uh, for the state had put on, and through that, he met the search team, and through that, he recommended me, and even though I, I wasn't, I was happy where I was, and I wasn't looking to leave, but he knew my connection to Illinois, and he just sensed that God wanted this for us, even though the church in Texas was thriving, about the same size as our church here and so, uh, at, at the time. And so he um, just said, hey, Doug, I'm, I talked to this church uh, guy, in this, and they're going to contact you, I think, and I said, I just want you to take it, I just want you to consider this, and maybe this is of the Lord. And so we began to pray about it. We started talking to the committee, and then we went to Poland. And while we were in Poland, God just confirmed that call to FBCO in our hearts. I'll just leave it at that. And we came back. The search team came back. We came back, I think, on a Saturday night, middle, middle of the night. The next morning, I preached half asleep. And the, and the, but God was in it, and they called, asked us to come preach here at FBCO. I preached my very first Sunday here. I knew, boy, I knew God's stirring in missions in my heart then. I knew God wanted us to reach Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. I knew that. And I said to the church, to the committee and then to the church, we're going to be serious about these things. We're going to be serious about reaching people. Like, we're not going to be just a country club or try to just, like, help people feel better. Let's, let's, God gives us the Holy Spirit, and he gives us the power of the Holy Spirit for a reason, and it's for a mission. And I said, in that very first message, I said, I'm going to ask you to do great things for God's glory. And, and God has done some great things for his, uh, for his glory in, those, in these years. And in fact, I'll say, on October 16th, I'll mention another exciting thing I think God has for us. So I'll just leave it at that for now. But, and listen, I say that realizing how half an idiot I can be sometimes. I mean, I, like I'm less impressed by myself, I think, than I've ever been. I know my weaknesses and shortcomings. I say that knowing that you're an imperfect church. Did you, know, did you know that? Because it's made up of imperfect people. I get that. 
I say this, that God does great things, that he wants to do great things through us, even though we all come with a broken past. We've all made promises to God we didn't keep very well. We've all made commitments. I'm going to follow you, Jesus, and we can sort of halfway do it. But I know this. God, the Holy Spirit, lives in the life of the believer. And we have access to the power of God. It's not based on our talents and abilities and our strengths. And it's God working in us. God, the Holy Spirit, lives in us. And he empowers us to be his witnesses. And by his power and for his glory, we can be witnesses in our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God can use this church and people like us to accomplish his purposes. In fact, God loves using people like us. He could do it all without us, but he wants to use people like us because he gets the glory doing the work in and through us. God wants us to make a difference in our Jerusalem, in our Judea, in our Samaria, and to the end of the earth for the glory and power of God. By his grace, the Holy Spirit living in us. And God does great things through us. Listen, God does great things through you. And not just y'all, you, but each of you. And if you know Christ as Savior, God, the Holy Spirit is living in you, and he wants, to, he wants to make an impact in this world through you for his glory. Let's pray together. Hey, if you're here and you've never trusted Christ as Savior, I want to ask you today to give your life to Christ. Repent of your sin and place your faith in Christ and receive him as Savior. Christian, if you know Christ as Savior, the Bible tells us that God, the Holy Spirit, lives in us. Would you say, God, I want to live out my faith. I want to I be on mission with you. I want to say yes to you, to say no to the things you say no to and yes to the things you say yes to. And God, I want to trust your power to accomplish your purposes through someone as broken and fallen, as fragile as me, because you perfectly save and you perfectly forgive and you perfectly empower, and so you can use imperfect people like me. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for the truth of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And Father, would you help us to be a kind of church that would lean in, depend upon, trust the Holy Spirit working in and through us, that we'll find your power, your strength, your direction, your grace, be on mission for you. Help us to open our eyes to how we can be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And we'll give you the praise and the glory for what you'll do in Jesus' name. Amen.